All right, we are recording and we are live. All right. Well, we're not live, but we are recording. All right, well, welcome to Coffee Conversations. My name is Jen LeBanc Billharts, and I have a special guest today, Dr. Matt Horman. Hello, hello, hello. Not the typical type of doctor. Um, Matt is a professional trombone player and faculty with Lindenwood University in the music department. Hello. Hello. How's it going? You know, we're hanging in there. Good. Well, it's good to unofficially yet officially meet you via Zoom on our lovely podcast tonight. I'm happy to be here. I know we've had... We've had opportunities, and I've sent students your way, and I think we missed each other by a semester at Lindenwood. We did, so. yeah. So um, I did. I graduated from Lindenwood in 2010, and that's when you started, right? In the fall. Yeah, so I guess I so graduated in the spring, you. and yeah, I just missed you. But I was not in jazz studies or instrumentalist, and um, so we probably would have not crossed paths anyways. But anyway. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. So, um, so you've studied trombone for a long time. You even have, you've got a doctorate in what's your doctorate in? It's a doctor of musical arts and trombone performance. Nice. So you must be pretty good. (laughs) Some might say yes. (laughs) Is that a trombone? You've got trombones on either side of you there. Yes. Nice. Yes, I do. You, You just have the two. Well, there's one in the case over there and there's one stuck in my office at work. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we awesome. have a couple different varieties and sizes for depending on the job. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know about all that. Well, so normally, um, as it works, as it happens out, as it as it stands now, most of my work is is on bass trombone, and um, which is kind of a niche instrument, um, mostly with jazz big band stuff. But there's been a movement toward solo type work, both in the classical and the jazz world, in the last. 10, 20 years. Okay. And so a lot of my stuff is with that one. But I also play like the normal trombone would be the jazz trombone, which is the one over there. Um, then there's like classical size trombones and there's teeny tiny ones for, you know, Beethoven. But that's about it. Okay. So there, so usually instruments are categorized by different voicings, but the trombone is categorized much differently, it seems. Am I understanding so that correctly? Yeah, it's sort of like the saxophone family and that, you know, you've got the Kenny G soprano saxophone and then there's alto saxophone and tenor saxophone, berry sax, and then there's contras and um, trombones technically are kind of the same in that there are soprano trombones and which some people call slide trumpets and then alto trombone, tenor trombone, bass trombone, contra bass trombone. Um, Like anytime you go to the movies and hear in the soundtrack, there's like at the very Mm -hmm. bottom. It's probably not tubas. It's probably a contrabass trombone, which is huge. Okay. Or a really weird instrument called a chimbasso, which is Ooh. kind of like a pre-tuba thing. Um, is it a, yeah. that as big as a tuba? Kind of. Is that like a sousaphone or am I going in the wrong? It's weird. It's right? weird. It almost looks like a cross between um, a tuba and like sort of like a berry sax. It's really odd. You'll have to look okay. it up. Uh, Jim Basso. There's a really cool video where they arranged uh, the um, the Game of Thrones theme for all low brass and like trombone is the highest brass in there. And it's all like these really weird giant tubas and hmm. contrabass trombones. It's really cool. You should check it out. 
Neat. And your listeners and viewers too. It's super rad. Wow. Well, that's more than I've ever known about trombone. So <laughs> I can't help but teach. Here we are. Well, that's your. That's what you live for is teaching and so forth. So you are faculty at Lindenwood, which has, mm-hmm. we've already discussed, has a great music program. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so I, you're teaching jazz studies and then also you're involved with the music business department, which. Right has really blossomed, I understand. And now I give credit to you. I didn't know where this like wonderful uh, music business program came from, but it sounds like you have been kind of the inventor of all of that. Um, so yeah, how, how does that work? So um, why is that important in today's music world? Like why is it so important for musicians? And I've had this conversation a little bit with other um, of other guests that are performers, mm-hmm. like you can't just learn your instrument and perform. Like you have to have all of this other um, side knowledge, like marketing and business and all of that good stuff. So how is that important to just a musician in general, even if they're just a performer and not looking necessarily to get into business? Like for instance, I, you know, I own a music school, that's true music business, um, but there's all sorts of different varieties of it. Uh, sure. So yeah, take it away. <laughs> this whole thing, which I can't claim all the credit for, it's myself and Adam Donahue, who's another uh, music faculty at Lindenwood. Um, we were looking at the way music has been taught for the last really like 200 years, or from at least the 70s, if you want to talk about when jazz education started. And uh, that knowledge coupled with my experience. So I went right out of high school, I went into college, I got my undergraduate in trombone performance, and then I got my master's in trombone performance. And then I went straight through and got my doctorate in performance. And that was nine years of college of some really intense training. And then it was like, good luck, kid. Okay. Don't miss your loan payment. You know, and, you know, it for a while, you know, there are people that that make it. Um, I've auditioned for symphonies and that was kind of my, my initial trajectory was to, uh, was to play for a major symphony. And then it kind of switched to be, I wanted to be a studio player in Los Angeles. Okay. But having auditioned, I auditioned for the St. Louis symphony twice. Um, and at both auditions, there were 300 people from all over the world. Wow. And you know, you're looking at, (laughs) right. And you're looking at months and months and months of preparation and then my auditions lasted about two minutes max. And then you thank you. Oh and goodness. then, <laughs> and then you're done. So there, I, there were other people that I was working with, uh, competing against, I guess, that their job was almost to travel around the nation and audition at symphonies. So they're looking at airlines and just months and months of practicing the coolest classical repertoire and just beating it into submission. Okay. <laughs> and then not get the job. So when I finally found myself as a teacher, um, we were kind of doing the same thing. And it was like, what are these kids going to do? What are these young musicians going to do? They're just learning how to play trombone really well or learning how to play viola really well. And we all know as performers, there's just not the jobs out there, especially if you get into jazz or especially classical music. I mean, there are jobs, but the more successful people in those regions are making the work for themselves. Right. I think that's, um, you know, and I kind of felt 
not quite to the capacity that you did with what you went through. Cause I was never performance focused, but I mean, I think, and this might not hold true just for musicians, but maybe a lot of different um, fields as well, but you get your degree and then what? Mm-hmm. It's not like career services isn't there to assist you, but it's like, what are they you, don't know. what are you supposed to do? And you're right. Music is such like a unique niche. Like what, then what, you know, it was, for me, I know this, we'll get back to, you know, I, me being maybe a sample student here, um, you know, I was very nervous about it. I didn't know if I would yeah. make it, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll teach, but how do I do that? I don't feel ready for it, but yet I have this bachelor's degree. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and my, my undergrad was very, um, you know, worthwhile and everything, but it's just like, then what? Um, so yeah, I've totally been there too. I relate. Yeah, it's, you know, a a disclaimer up front, like, you don't need a degree in music to be in the music business. You know, we've seen countless examples of people who make it work, you know, just through grit and determination and sometimes dumb luck, Um, you know, and there's a lot of that that that, that plays part of it. Um, But what schools like where I'm at and like Miami Frost and... Uh, Berkeley and the new school and like these, these higher ed places that are kind of turning music education on its ear a little bit and insisting that even the most strict classical players, they learn how to be entrepreneurs. They learn how they learn a little bit of financing or they learn a little bit of nonprofit administration so that when they hit the reality that for any one of our positions, there are 30 doctoral graduates coming out every year for like two jobs. Okay. Um, you know, then what do you do? So schools like mine, and a lot of changes happened after you left. So don't anybody think that this is like a plug for something right. that she already experienced. What we've done is try to take musicians. It's not for people who are not musicians, but take musicians get them really good at their instrument, of course, but also teach them all of the other skills that you need to survive. Things like um, accounting and management and small business administration and all of that from like the business school type Mm -hmm. thing, everything that they're taking, you know, MBA type students, but also how does marketing work for music? How does social media work for music? The idea being that, sure, you're really good at your instrument, but the more you understand how the industry works, the more opportunities you have to do it and not pay someone else to do it, Sure. which kills most of us. Yes. But then if you get decent at that little thing that you happen to show some promise in, you know, then other people start paying you. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I had going through with my stolen copy of Photoshop in college is that I got good at graphic design, just kind of doing it on my own. And then now, whenever I go to make an album, I don't pay anybody to do that. I do it myself. And then I charge someone else 500 bucks for me to do their work. And it's fun for me. So, you know, it's, it's trying to load musicians for bear so that they get out there they understand licensing. They understand running a business like you're doing. They understand playing. They also understand production mm-hmm. and live sound so that hopefully 
both in the beginning when we're talking to students and their parents, they're not scared. And then at the end, they're not only not scared, but they're driven by the opportunities they see instead of just like good luck. Yeah, no, I love that. And you you kind of hit it. Like I, I feel like most parents try to steer their child away from studying music in college because they're like, well, what's your backup plan? Or they want you to be a band director or a choir yes. director. But you know, for me, like I didn't worry. I chose, and that shadows the dog. <laughs> um, for me, you know, I chose a liberal arts school because it didn't matter. Like I wasn't scared because, you know, I had spent really my my whole life prior to college working on my musicianship skills and perfecting my instruments and everything like that. And certainly, of course, there's more, much more to learn and experience in college in that regard. But, you know, it was just a third of it. And then I got to do a third of gen eds, which, you know, were kind of boring and a little bit repetitive, but worthwhile nonetheless. And then a third of electives. So you can kind of like plug in those holes of things that you want to study that are good for your mm-hmm. um, career or just because you have the time to do it. Um, so like, I wasn't scared. I knew like I was getting such a strong foundation that even if music failed me, then I could still be successful and do something else. Like I still had mm-hmm. that bachelor's degree. And, um, you know, so like for me, that was like really worthwhile. And so I actually, um, I started managing a medical office, um, which helped me to develop a lot of those business skills. And I just like became self-taught um, and then I finally had the opportunity and the confidence to go out and start my own music school. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think it was like a great stepping stone. Now I wish I, you had started a year prior because <laughs> I, I had just finished up my final year at Lindenwood. I transferred in, had completed all of my music courses by then. Um, so it's just fulfilling my, um, lesson and ensemble requirements so that I could maintain my scholarship, of course. Um, but I mean, that would have been, that would have been really interesting to me. Cause I was, like I said, I was not performance driven in the least. I was very much an outlier to that, but no, that's, was, was there even a music business program back before you started? I think there was, because when I started, I was just doing trombone and brass ensemble, and I kind of weaseled my way into a full-time thing and, you know, <laughs> awesome. tore it all down and built it back up. A lot of schools, um, because business is kind of like the, the new thing right now in terms of higher ed, yes, especially entrepreneurialism. Um, and so music schools are trying to create music business degrees by taking a BA music and giving them a minor in business and going, music business, you got it. It doesn't work. <laughs> right. Not, not and honestly, anything bad about other programs, but it just, it, there's such a, di- there's a disconnect. They're not the right. same. There's, there's the same more. Yeah. Right. There's so much more. And that's how our degree program was at the beginning, before I arrived there. Okay. And it had only been around three years or something, but it was like, hey, we did a thing. Mm-hmm. And Adam Donahue and I tore it down and we built it back up thinking, you know, I started when I started college, I was a jazz performance major and then changed to classical because I wanted to do symphonies. And my directors at the time were like, 
if, if your degree says jazz, they won't invite you to symphony auditions. Mm. So I switched it, but I still did all the jazz stuff. Sure. I just you know, of, was named this. Yeah. And Adam went through, he went through Berkeley and then he was on the cruise ships for eight years wow. as a music director. And so he kind of went through hard knocks yeah. and like the real stuff. And we were like, what is a degree that we would want as someone who wants to play music and make my career in music? What would we need to survive as a 21st century musician? Sure. And so, you know, it's almost a foregone conclusion now that you're good. But what else you got? You know, there's content creators and Instagram, you know, kings that are not all that great, but they understand how the system works and they're able to build a career right. with things like YouTube, Instagram, and now Patreon and some of these, you know, uh, subscription type things. It makes it possible to have a career in music, which is amazing. Sure. And, uh, it is, the- and you're just on you. You can just do it on your own, um, without, you know, the confines of being part of an ensemble or, you know, having right. to find a, a manager or producer, you can just kind of do it yourself a little bit. And you could be, you could be in St. Charles, Missouri, and through the power of the internet, be able to take that weird thing that you like and get it out th- to so many people that you can create that, that sort of patron system where if I can get my message out, to a thousand people to give me five bucks a month woo! <laughs> to give me five bucks a month. I mean, that's a living. That is. Yeah. And then it's, it's upwardly scalable. So, and then on top of that, you play and record and sell merch and all of those yeah, things. So you got too. All of those components, like it sounds a little bit overwhelming. So obviously, you know, things are much different today than they even were two years ago. So how does a musician mm-hmm. stay truly stay on top of that? Like once you graduate and you've got your degree, all of that could be completely irrelevant 10 years later. Right. I think one good model for that sort of thing, and you know this person, and he he's teaches with teaches with us, uh, Bob Baker, yes. the author of the Gorilla Music or the Gorilla Gorilla Music Marketing Handbook. Yes, he's brilliant. And as long as you know all of these other things, he's not a young man anymore. But he You said it, not me. Con- yeah, I mean, he. I think he would agree with me, but the concepts that he understands that, you know, an email list will never go away, right. a mailing list will never disappear. And that's a number one, even the Instagrammers, if they're touring musicians, they know that their mailing list is prime. It's constant, yes. And you and I, unfortunately, are old enough that we remember when MySpace was the thing. Yep. And then within 12 months, it was completely gone. Yes. I worry about that with Facebook. I'm like, and I had this conversation with a buddy of mine. Um, I don't know if you know Chris Swan. Um, he's not well. He's actually worked um, with Bob. Bob kind of helped coach him through because he's um, independent and he's worked to build up his own um, several different I think Chris, businesses. Um, he came and talked to our students, I think, once. Okay. I didn't get to meet him, but I think he came in in Bob's class. Wonderful guy. Um, anyways, and I, I, you know, we've, we've worked um, kind of together in a sense, and we bounce ideas off of each other. And I had the same thought one day. I was like, oh my gosh, like, what happens if we wake up tomorrow and Facebook is just locked down and we can't get in and we have thousands of followers and that's the only way we can reach out to people. And then there's nothing. 
And I was like, we would have no way to reach people without spending a fortune on like paid advertisements through Google or whatever. And so I've had the same thought, like, you're absolutely right. Like the email list. And I think so many young people are afraid of that because it seems a little bit ancient in a sense, like sure. as sure. new as email is, I think that people are just stepping away from it and they're doing all this direct messaging through social media and that's their source of communication. But no, there is so much power with email. It's, it's incredible. Like how, how well that really can work. And so, yes, I completely agree with you. Um, because that's the only way to know exactly where they are. Even if the method changes, um, Bob talks about this in his books, and I talk about it all the time in my classes, this kind of hub and spoke marketing um, concept. I think he calls it octopus marketing. Um, But basically, and this is where a lot of the younger musicians, they don't buy in because everyone, you know, they've all moved to Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever the new thing is. Um, I'm not that old and I can't keep up. But the one thing that you will always have control over is your website. Yes. And having a home base or the hub in your spokes mm-hmm. so that you always have control of that. And if the if the Facebook spoke breaks off, sure. then you still have all of that information and you can direct them to the new thing. If yeah. suddenly everybody flocks over to LinkedIn or whatever, you're like, fine, I can just shift it. Um, and these things are always referencing each other. The point is always to get people to your website anyways. Right. You're not going to sell somebody in thin air, literally on Instagram. Like they have to get somewhere. Right. And so if you've got a Spotify page and it links back to your website and through the website, they see that you have a Bandcamp page and they go over there and then they have a chance mm-hmm. to buy your album if they want to support you. There's this concept called super fans. I don't know if you've heard of this, but Think of that like whatever musician or artist that you love, like that one that like, oh my gosh, you know, John Bon Jovi. Oh my gosh. Um, People want to spend about $60 a year on that person, on that band, on that whoever, whether it's Beyonce or Mumford and Sons or you, you know, your super fans want to give you that money. And if you're a band and you're only putting an album out every three years or now it's like a single a month. Um, So there's a whole other thing to that too. But if you're only putting out an album every three years for 10 bucks a pop, you're only letting them give you $10 every three years. And so part of what happens now is that we've got all of these other things. And we talked about it with kind of um, the, the content creators and Patreon and, with when Kickstarter came out, there's these different levels of stuff. So it's getting young musicians or any, any musicians, it's getting 21st century musicians to think about giving your fans opportunities to participate in your art. Right. And they do that for giving you money. Absolutely. And the other thing that we have to learn, and this is a bitter, bitter pill to swallow, but music is not the commodity anymore. No one's buying music anymore. Sure. <laughs> and everyone goes, ah, you know, record scratch. And like, but they, what we value most in society right now is connections, whether they are real or perceived. So that when Taylor Swift puts out a new album, 
yeah, she's going to get a hajillion streams and stuff, but that's like 0. 0.00006 cents per stream or something ridiculous. Right. That's not where T Swift's money no, comes not from. At all. It's the cat pillows that she sells on her website. And people are like, oh, she loves cats and I love cats and I'll buy the pillow. <laughs> you know, what band is thinking, you know, I'll put out a pillow for people to buy. But those are the things that they're that people are looking for. It's the access, it's you know, private screenings of the film or private chats with the band or lessons with somebody or backstage passes or a vial of their sweat or something. But like, yeah. it's those things. That's where the, the market is now. Well, why don't we, we're going to take, we're going to have a quick pause here. And then after our pause, we're going to get into perhaps why that is and how some of these, um, musicians that are just up and coming can make a living with this. So we'll be right back in just a moment. You have been listening to Coffee Conversations. I am your host, Jen LeBanc Billharts from Shock City School of Music. Thanks for tuning in so far. We are going to just step away for a quick break and a word from our sponsor. So stick with us and we will be right back. Are you or your kids bored at home? We have the answer. Virtual music lessons. Mobile friendly platform. One on one lessons with a professional music instructor. Group lessons and kinder music too. The world is moving online. So are we. Join us today. Music lasts a lifetime. Begin today. Visit shockcityschool.com to sign up. All right, we're back. We're back. Welcome back. All right, I was thinking that your your little headset we we're talking we we're telling calling you doctor. It's like your little stethoscope. <laughs> I'm not a doctor that's very useful right now. Not not in the world right now, but yeah. That's okay. All right, so how can these not necessarily younger musicians, but um, up and coming musicians, how are they supposed to be making money? Like, what is your best advice? Like, they're not, obviously not going to make money selling cat pillows like Taylor Swift because nobody knows their name. Like, how do you get anything outside of, you know, playing gigs or um, teaching? So right now, uh, we'll, we'll start with kind of like, let's start with like a garage rock band or something, like a mainstream sort of group. And it's basically the same for everybody. But let's say you're a garage band. Um, the best, a number one best thing you can do is do gigs and build your fan base. That is the bedrock for everything that happens above that. And you can't do that playing at the same venue in your town every weekend because then you're going to burn out your fans. Okay your local fans and you're not, you're not spreading the word. You know, we talk about like viral videos or memes now, and it's because I share it with you and you share it with them and like, so on. Sure. So I can't just gig in St. Charles and like, you know, 
have my music get out. Um, but what I can do is start pulling enough people that if I play at venue X and I'm pulling 30 people solid, then I know that I can call, you know, the next city, then a smaller town, smaller venue and say, I can put 30 people in your room. Okay. And, and then you start to build up. And if you're doing your job and keeping your mailing list, you have the 30 from your hometown and you've got 30 from the next place and 30 from the next place. And then you start engaging with those people gotcha. because I alluded earlier, I talked about what people are interested in and by people, I mean, consumers, fans, people who listen to music or art, whatever. There's a higher degree. There's a higher expectation for access to this, to the, the, the talent, whether it's a band or an actor or, you know, whatever. Sure, that connection. Yeah, I can directly message Denzel Washington on on whatever social media platform. Whether or not he actually listens to it or not or, or responds back is sort of irrelevant. But I was watching an interview with Dane Cook, a uh, comedian, was huge in the mm-hmm. 90s. And his whole empire, he was the tippy top. And it was made through MySpace. And the dude answered everybody that contacted him. And then virally you hear like, man, this guy's super accessible. And he answers me. And that just builds, 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 builds. So you've created that connection. Right. It's everything right now. Then, right. Especially right now. Yes. When connection, we're just aching for some sort of connection. And there are a lot of bands, both big and small that are doing like, Mm. um, you know, zoom concerts or whatever, where they're live streaming, AKA pre-mixed by, professionals where they're all recorded separately, but you know, and people are eating it up because it feels genuine and it feels like there's a connection there. What that connection then does is it opens a gateway for them to care about you and your career. Okay. And what that means for you as an artist is they're willing to give you money. They're willing to support you. So I'm sorry, I'm rambling. No, that's why we're here. Like that you're doing it right. Okay. But good. I was thinking, I was thinking, um, you know, I go and see, I, I know there's a lot of great music venues out in St. Charles. Um, and for those of you that are not local, St. Charles is just outside of St. Louis. We're in Missouri. Um, I'm in St. Louis, but it's just a hop and a skip away. Um, we're between two rivers, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you're on the yep. other side. I'm on the other side. We've got, um, we're sandwiched. Mm-hmm, um, or mm-hmm. I'm sandwiched and you're just over there. <laughs> okay, I, it's going well. <laughs> clearly I don't have a, a degree in geography, but anyways, there we go. Um, a lot of really great music venues, small venues, large venues, and then also great opportunities for people to just kind of gig in the corners of restaurants, mm-hmm. which to me is like right. the coolest thing ever. Um, sure. cause the consumer can go have a drink, socialize, have dinner, whatever. And there's some of the most talented musicians just playing music there. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's free and you're just enjoying it. And it's just part of the ambiance and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not trying to criticize anybody that I've seen out because I've seen other, other musicians not do this, but I feel like a lot of them are not doing what you're 
advertising they should be doing is what, you know, of course they're socializing and engaging with people, but they're not looking to build up their email list per se. And they're not capturing, um, you know, those people's information. They're just kind of like connecting and then separating and hoping they catch them on Facebook or whatever. Um, and, and so it leaves me wondering, like, there could be so much more like, is it that a lot of musicians just don't, I mean, it comes down to a few things. They don't know what to be doing, which is why we're talking about this to begin with. Um, B, they don't have the drive. They're just comfortable with what they're doing or C it's just not typical or, you know, that would be an atypical thing to do. So, um, what is your, what is your thought on all of that? I would add another reason that people don't is because it kind of feels icky. Like it feels like you're, you're panhandling or that you're like, you're trying to right. shyster them into giving you money or whatever. And we alluded to this before the break, but as a society, as a world society, we have devalued the actual music itself to the point where, you know, $13 a month or whatever it is on Spotify to have a, a thing that's like outrageous <laughs> sure, 13 yeah. whole dollars a month so that I don't have to listen to ads. So oh, it's just, nice. yeah, you're right. And so there's been a cultural shift away from the value of music. So I think sometimes as a musician, we, we kind of approach it, you know, like a, like a whipped dog or something, just asking for scraps. Okay. Like, Hey, I don't want to bother you, but you know, if you want to buy my album, if you don't, that's fine, you know, but here it is. Or, I mean, I got t-shirts or something, I guess, like rather than seeing it as it's like a mind shift where you're like, I'm not asking people for money. I'm giving them opportunities to participate in the creation of my art. So how do you build, how do you help these young people build that confidence? I mean, what's amazing is they have the confidence to get up and play their instrument, mm -hmm. but they don't have the confidence to then promote themselves. So what are those next right. steps? Like how, how does somebody get to that point? So I think one of the best things you can do at the beginning is start, and I'm going to use the evil word, start networking with other bands or other artists that are like you. So if you're in a rock band and you're not going to other rock bands concerts, you know, what are you doing? And you're, you're going to start to meet these people and you're going to meet their fans by being at their thing. Okay. And so you start to just, it kind of like uh, breaks the seal a little bit on, on like talking to people. You know, I've got some students now that um, their, their band performs with stage makeup and stuff, which is awesome. I, that's great. Okay. Do it. But, but then as soon as they come off the stage and you're forced to like actually converse with somebody like you can't hide behind the makeup you can't hide behind the stage and they want that connection they saw the makeup but they want the connection you know everybody loved it when you know the kiss took the makeup off and they oh my god they're real people and like um so i think it's it's going to other concerts it's being in the scene and then it's you know having a merch table set up and at that merch table, maybe your first couple goes around. You're not looking to make a ton of money off of it. But what you're looking for is that sweet, sweet email. 
So, and how do we get those emails? Because people don't want to give those up. Give them something for free. Yep. Give them a band sticker or give them a free download. All I need is your email and your name. And then once you kind of break that seal, then the emails can roll out yep, where it's exactly. like, hey, person who, who, who said that they liked me enough, they gave me their contact info. Here's a little bit more. Here's my website where you can give me more money if you want. And here's, here's all the different ways that you can be involved in my art, whether it's wearing a t-shirt with my face on it or buying a cat pillow or getting free like demos, demo recordings yeah, of something awesome. like things that just different things. But people want lead sheets, people want something lead for, for free. Songs. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've kind of learned, um, through my own, you know, self-education with all this modern day marketing is absolutely people want something for free. They don't want a discount. They want something free. So mm -hmm. you produce something that is just work one time up front. It's not going to cost you something necessarily. So like that demo mm -hmm. or whatever, and then it's nothing to you. You just, they get this electronically and then you've got them. Um, and then you right. work on the marketing from there. You've got a campaign set up or, you know, a whole email sequence or whatever. You invite them to more shows. You, you know, you build up the level and then you're absolutely right. That, that was a perfect response. So, but are people, are people doing that? Like I would probably tell you, and you know, there's not much music going on right now, but maybe I'm in the wrong music scene, but I don't see people doing that. Why is that? You know, it's just that you think confidence issue. Like, I think that, that for as many different artists there are, there's that many different reasons. Some of it is confidence. Okay. You and I both know that artists are in many ways very frail in terms of that part of it. The ask, hey, give me money. Um, they can scream all day or or play improvised solos for an hour at a time. But like when you comes down to like looking someone in the eye and being like, Hey, I've got this thing. Give me some money for my thing. <laughs> yeah. Or you just enjoyed this thing. Give me some money. Um, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of it as the industry is gasping for air right now. Um, I know there are some bands that are turning to Twitch, which is, uh, do you know what Twitch I've is? I've never heard of it. So Twitch is a platform that um, people who play games they use so they they stream themselves playing the game okay. and there's a picture of them over here and it's there's like a chat running mm -hmm. and there's usually some sort of tip jar so not not much different from what people have been doing to survive during quarantine these professional musicians doing the live facebook right. on instagram yeah, yeah. and they're you you know they've got their tip jar then the whole thing so kind of like that it's exactly okay. like that. Only it's like it's built more for like the tip jars built into it. Oh, nice! It's not like here's my here's my Venmo link. Well, I could you I know, could definitely see away. that. I could see that being a thing. Like especially you know probably pre COVID and quarantine. Sorry, I bumped my mic. Um, prior to that, I would have been like, that's outrageous. Like people want to get out and see things. There's music festivals and all that. But I think that's a, a totally plausible idea. Um, you know, but yet, I don't know, it goes both ways. Like to me, music is very social and I'd hate to see the other aspects of music just disappear or to suffer, but it's, uh, an end to a mean, a means to an end. Did I say that wrong? Which way is it? <laughs> you got it. It's a means, means to, an to an end. end. 
Um, Even the biggest names like Garth Brooks is trying to find ways. Yeah, you know, I they're saw doing that. The drive-in. Yeah, Holy cow. Brilliant. Yeah. And there's like this, it still kind of feels social. You get dressed, you get out mm-hmm. of your house, you go park your car somewhere. Um, and they're, not to use the analogy again, but for as many musicians as, and artists as there are, there's all these different solutions for how maybe you should reach your audience and I should reach my audience. Absolutely. Like, I don't think I could use Twitch. I've never used it before, but, you know, things like that where you you meet your audience where they are. Yes. Instagram Live was a big thing even before COVID where bands would be like, we're at Soundcheck, Instagram Live, and people just eat it up because it's that sense of connection with the band. Oh, we're in the trailer, Instagram Live. <laughs> and they're like, we're there too. Here's some money, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if I have my number correct, and I don't know if I do, the music industry last year was like a $4 billion industry. There is money for everybody. It's not just Beyonce and Taylor Swift. It's not just the tippy top. It's for everybody down there. And it's about making the connection to the consumers and their pocketbooks and giving them opportunities to participate in your art. I like that. So and not feeling. Yeah, no, I took yeah. connection and opportunity. Right. I mean, it, it right. really comes down to, to just that. Right. Right. And some of that, that way of thinking is not normal for people mm-hmm. coming, you know, whether you're a, a kid coming out of high school, out of college, or you're an older artist who's trying to figure out how to survive in the 21st century, we're not ever really taught how to provide opportunities for other people to give us money. We're taught how to play really well, go up on stage, play your butt off, do a good job of it. And that that reminds me, all of this is predicated on the fact that what you're doing is good. Whatever Absolutely. weird thing you're doing, <laughs> it has to be good. But once you have the product, it's about finding ways to get it to the consumer, to the, connect them to the artist in ways that they understood in Renaissance Italy, like that people invested in the artist's so that the artists could make their thing. And that's kind of what, that's what YouTubers do. You know, my son loves this dude who makes like fish tanks and pools and is like, like, oh, cool. <laughs> I think his name is Paul Kufaro or something. Okay. And he just, he just makes ponds <laughs> and then has like a farm. And my son loves it. And this dude has a million followers wow. on YouTube. And it's like, what is he offering? He's offering connection. Mm-hmm. And he's offering this platform and then he gives them the ability to give him money. Yep. And the dude's got way better cars than I do. (laughs) So um, I can imagine it being a little bit scary trying to make a living. Um, You know, we've kind of, we're talking about social media right now. So making a living with social media, to me, everything seems so oversaturated. So you're trying, like, literally everybody's trying to do something. Everybody's trying to do a podcast. I mean, I'm one and I don't even want to know how many. Like, nobody cares about me. (laughs) So it's absolutely right. Like, you have to connect. And it's such a difficult thing because why is somebody going to care about what you're doing when they don't even know who you are? You would just, it would just be happenstance that somebody's going to discover you and you get big. And it's, 
you can't ever predict what it is that you're doing that's going to cause that to happen. It's usually the, the one thing that you're not expecting. And I can completely imagine that being um, very intimidating. I think that is, yes, of course. It's horrifying to be like, I could be doing this really, really well and no one's going to catch it. And I'm, you know, there's two things there. One of which I just forgot. So I'll say the other one. I think it was Jim Carrey who said that his dad said, like, I'd rather fail at something that I love than fail at something that I hate. So, oh, that was the other thing is that it behooves artists to be true to themselves yes, and their art and not try to like read the paper and like, Oh, what's a paper? Not, you know, <laughs> go on the internet and see what the biggest, you know, I'm going to make, you know, ponds in my backyard. No, do your own That's thing. Not, and yeah. if you love it, and somebody if, else will, there's gotta be other people out there. Right. Because Yes, of course. The world is so huge. Like it's unfathomably huge how many people are out there. And whatever weird thing that you think only you like, forget about it. There's people there. So it's it's finding a way to get to them. It's using things like Reddit or um, you know, industry blogs and whatever weird thing that you like. I've got a friend out in Los Angeles who He's big into avant-garde jazz, which is about the smallest niche you can get into, and then gypsy jazz, okay. which is like even yeah. smaller. But he is making a living because he is doing it so well and doing it with such fervor and passion mm -hmm. that people are like, holy smokes, that's really cool. I'm in. Whether or not they look, woke up that morning going, I wonder what's going on in the gypsy jazz <laughs> world today. Right. They heard it and loved it. And you you nailed it again is the passion. Like you yeah, if, if you're, you're not into passionate it, quit. about something, other people are going to catch wind of that and become passionate too. Right. And that I, I, I said it for a second, but like I, I do believe in this, and I'll tell my students this every day. If you're not into this, like if you don't wake up in the morning and your first breath is like, I'm gonna make music today, you should probably do something else. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. You can still play trombone for the whole rest of your life or whatever it is. You can do it in community bands or in your basement or whatever. But if you don't love it, then do not torture yourself because the music industry is for the passionate and for the gritty and for the stubborn mm -hmm. and sometimes not so smart because we just keep pounding away yeah. until our thing gets recognized by other people. And if it doesn't, I mean, you you alluded to this before with the Jim Carrey dad quote is. I think that's who it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I live in similar fashion is why our life is so short. Why waste time doing something you don't love? And especially when it comes to music, if you're a performer, you have to practice endless hours yeah. a day. Like you have to. <laughs> and. Right. There's no point if you're not feeling it, then your message is not going to be conveyed and your music's going to be completely flat and it's just the whole thing's a waste. People can see through bullshit so easily. And if you're not if you're not dealing, you know, then not to not to pick on this one band, but I remember 
um, I took my niece and nephew to go see Evanescence in concert. Okay. And I'm, I love them. Evanescence is great. It's so cool. Is that Amy Lee? Or do I, have I don't know, person? but um, whoever the female, the lead singer is, has a gorgeous, very strong voice. Yes. Yes. I totally dig it. I love the layering. The albums are awesome. And they were coming through what used to be the Riverport Amphitheater, yep. I guess. Is it Hollywood Casino Amphitheater? Oh, gosh, I guess. And it was Verizon before that. So. Yeah. So, you know, Riverport. Mm-hmm. So they were coming through as part of a festival and they asked me to take him. I was like, yeah, I like Evanescence. And it was the last stop on their tour. And she was plastered. And it was like, as a fan, it was like, you're not dealing. No. And you've let me down. You've let all these people down. I'm, I'm happy you're happy, <laughs> but you just blew it. You just kind of like wasted this opportunity For sure. to kind of like sink your talons in. Yep. It's okay. I still like Evanescence. I think they're great. Um, but that was not a positive experience. But like you said, if you're not feeling it, people see right through that and you've lost them. Yeah. And, and I, so I mean, I experience else. the same thing even um, when I'm teaching and I, I don't do a ton of teaching, but. I, I do enough, you know, on a weekly basis and you have to, I, I'm sure it's much different with college aged adults, but when I'm dealing with younger children, it's like, I have to keep, um, I just have to keep the momentum going and keep the energy flowing. Otherwise you're going to lose the kid. They're going to, they're just going to stop caring. And it might not, it might not be just that day, but then they're not going to go home and practice. They're not going to play. And then it's just, it'll become an eventual you know, catastrophe and train wreck that just builds on it. It's like you just, if you don't love, you know, so I'm just saying it's not just for performers, also for educators. Like you, it's a whole thing. You're trying to inspire somebody that is already, you've got to re-inspire them almost every day. They're already inspired. You've got to keep that. You've just got to keep that going for them. So I can totally relate to where you're going with that. I'll take it a step further and say that, when whatever you're doing in your life, let's get super philosophical mm-hmm. here. Whatever you are doing, if you're mm-hmm. not into it, do something else. I've got students that'll come through and they'll be like, oh, my job at XYZ is so bad. I'm like, then get another yeah, job. We, we live in the day and age in which you can do that. Or if not, you can create your own job. So yeah, there's a crappy job somewhere else or make your own job. Exactly. You know? And so I don't think, you know, you're, you're right. It's like life is too short and, and that can go for anything. Like if you hate shopping at the schnooks across the street, drive to the other one or, you know, same thing with relationships or whatever. I mean, certain thing, you can't get rid of your mother-in-law, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope she doesn't watch this. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure she's lovely, no. but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> certain things you cannot control, of course. You cannot, but other things, if it's within your control, then make it your own. You know, business is not for everybody. Um, no. You know, some musicians oh. and some educators want nothing to do with business. And if they have the means to that, that's fine. They can find a school to teach for, um, you know, who runs everything, or they can find a manager and they can just mm-hmm. sit back and focus on their thing. Um, you know, there's always a way around it. Sure. Yeah. Just don't get stuck. Yeah, that's it's, great advice. Life's too short. It is too short. There's no guarantees after that. Even if we all go to some magical place in the sky, we still have to do this one first. Be happy. Before we get there. Yep. So, I mean, go for it. That's great advice. YOLO. <laughs>
Cut that out. <laughs> what did, I didn't even hear what you said. I said YOLO. Oh. <laughs> That's why I missed Ooh. it. I had to think about that yeah. for a second. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not as keen on the terminologies as you are. <laughs> but That's about 10 years old, but so you, you're okay. You've got to stay on top of all of that to yeah. – Gosh, my goodness. I just um, – I don't know how you do it. That's something else. I don't know. It's one day. We were – I took my wife to the doctor the other day and someone else checking in was like – they're like, what's your date of birth? Like 1998. And I was just like, God. that's when I graduated high school. Right. And that's when they were born. I'm like <laughs> – I'm officially old. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that, you know, we were born in the 1900s and. You were born a whole century ago. Everyone is, you know, 2000s and it's like, wow. But I don't even know what week today is. So What week? What day? (laughs) What week today is. Every day is the same. So, except I get to talk to you today. Yeah, and this has been awesome. Agreed. Yes. So we've been talking about jazz music. Obviously, you play jazz and you also learned classical trombone. Mm-hmm. Is that how you would phrase that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I learned how to play really, really well a lot of different okay. things. And you also, you clearly like Evanescence, despite sure. <laughs> her drunken episode. Um, what other kind of music inspires you? Do you play other instruments? Um, I play a little bit of tuba and a little bit of baritone. Okay. Um, beyond that, you know, my mom and dad both play guitar. Uh, my brother plays guitar and I want to so bad. And I have a ukulele Ooh, hanging I there. I see it. It's cute. I can't really play it. I can play one song on it. Um, <laughs> it's better than no songs. <laughs> but I think... What has really hit the last decade or so. So when I was a, a student going through school, I was very like jazz purist. And I'm like, Count Basie and Woody Herman, and that's it. Okay. And, you know, I think if we don't approach life with an open mind, we miss out on a lot. And the things I'm listening to right now, the one that's really driving me nuts is, um, in a good way, um, his name is Tigran Hamasian. Ooh. He's a piano player. I um, I don't know exactly where he's from because I'm going to say it and it's going to be wrong. Um, somewhere in the Middle Eastern Balkanish kind of India, like the other side of the world. Okay. He is not an American jazz musician. Well, I could tell by the name. Maybe, so, um, yeah. Can you say the name one more time? Yeah. Tigran or Tigran Hamasian. Okay. And I'm going to look it up while we're, and he, because he's we're on a, computers. He's a pianist. Armenian. Armenian. Ooh. He is Armenian. Okay. And he's a, it's, I guess you would call it jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I do at school is make sure that I beat out of anyone what they think jazz is. Because whatever you think it is, it's that plus a whole lot more. Yes. Um, Including um, a lot of the hip hop and rap that we listen to now. I cannot think of his name and it's killing me. Um, jazz is everything, everything. But anyway, Hamasian, it's amazing. It's the most complicated rhythms and, and, but it's so beautifully and like interwoven. And there's still that kind of jazz conversation where there's improvisation okay. and there's some folk. It's so amazing. That's one. Jacob Collier. I don't know if you're familiar with Jacob Collier. Um, he's from the UK very young, infuriatingly young. Um, he's probably like 24. Yeah. 
um, and his grasp of harmony, and he kind of made his um, impact initially with the YouTube videos that everyone's doing now mm -hmm. with the multi-up screen things. Yep. He was doing those before okay. using the most dense, beautiful harmonies and these really cool arrangements of there's one of the Flintstones. There's one of Isn't She Lovely, Jacob Collier. Nice. Check it out. Snarky Puppy, if you're not if you're aware of them. Uh, a bunch of North Texas grads um, that have fused kind of uh, gospel and jazz and a little bit of metal sometimes okay. and some vocal. And so it's awesome. Dirty Loops. Um, I think they're Swedish. Okay. Let me double check. <laughs> okay, I'm looking. I'm going to cut out the, the delay here. They are from Stockholm, Sweden. Nice. It's a trio. Again, with they take um, they hit big with my favorite is um, they do Justin Bieber's Baby. Okay. And it is the sickest, most creative, playing, singing. Oh my god! So how are you finding all of these musicians from other parts of the world? Hmm. Uh, one of the coolest things that Spotify has given. And before it was Pandora a little bit, were like stations where I can pull up uh, Tigran Hamasian's newest album okay. and enjoy it. And then if you let it keep going, it'll like create a station of like artists that are not him. Sure. So that kind of keeps yeah. the vibe going. And I'll be, you know, in the car or working and I'm like, what is that? And then I'll look that up and see that, oh, it's... Um, uh, Donnie McCaslin, who's a saxophone player, who I'm going to say a name that you know. You ready? ready? David Bowie. Yes. David Bowie. His last album, Black Star, had mm -hmm. a jazz band with him. Not a jazz band, but like a jazz musicians as his band. Okay. Led by a saxophonist named Donnie McCaslin. And that album is so like jazz influenced and it's amazing. And then Donnie did albums after Bowie's passing mm -hmm. that feel a lot like David Bowie, but from like from the other angle. Neat. And so I'll be listening to him and then something else pops up. I'm like, what is that? And it's the discovery of new things. You know, Count Basie is awesome. And I will never not love Count Basie, but I am just hungry for what the 21st century is. Absolutely. You know, give me... What if we took Stevie Wonder and added some Skrillex and then put like, you know, oh, let's just blow up genres. They're useless anyway. And these groups that we've never heard of because they can't win a genre, you know, they're not going to win a Grammy in a genre, although Snarky Puppy has won Grammys. But it's like, you know, they're reaching their fans. They're selling out uh, a band named Wolfpack okay. um, sold out Madison Square Gardens. You've never heard them. They sold it out. And that's that ain't nothing. No. So internet. So Spotify is the key. For, other, at other, least for me when I was getting started. Okay, and I don't use I, I don't use Spotify. I'm a little bit old fashioned, but so and I'm probably an exception to that rule. But are there other other than like Pandora? You can kind of do a similar thing on Pandora, but are there other mm -hmm. outlets for that kind of a thing? There are two okay. that I'll I'll throw at you. One mm -hmm. would be like as an artist, I use Bandcamp mm -hmm. to distribute my CD for actual purchase, sure. 
You can stream it everywhere. But like, if you want to buy a disc, I have some, and you can do it through Bandcamp. And then you can, when other people are using that, you can see artists that they've kind of pegged oh, and cool. like, and you can see like, again, my friend in Los Angeles, his name is Dan Rosenboom. Okay. Killer, killer, killer avant-garde jazz stuff. And when I say that, people go, mm, but it's not what you're thinking. Whatever you're thinking, it's not that. <laughs> it's a little bit of rock. It's a little bit of gypsy. It's improvisation. It's awesome. And so Bandcamp, you can see like what's Dan liking okay. and what what do those people like awesome. and kind of like oh, follow like that, that okay. thing. The other thing um, is uh, YouTubers, YouTube uh, influencers. There's two... Mm-hmm that I kind of have a, a professional crush on. The top one would be Adam Neely, who has a YouTube channel where it's a lot of okay. kind of explaining. Some of it is like really heady music stuff, like super nerd out the wazoo heady stuff, but he breaks it down mm-hmm. and uses the platform so beautifully mm-hmm. with his editing and illustrations and stuff. It's just awesome. But he also... We'll talk about other musicians and bands and kind of what what's turning him on and stuff. And he's kind of at the forefront of that stuff, too. That's Adam Neely. The other one is Rick Beato. Okay. Um, again, he's got, I think, a million subscribers on YouTube. He used to be a producer. I think he still is, too. But he was a producer kind of in the alt-rock and country uh, area in the 90s. And now he mm-hmm. he'll do things like you know, top 20 guitar intros or, um, what he has a series called what makes this song great. And he'll talk about, um, using the Aeolian mode in popular music. And it's like, it sounds like really dry. It's so good. Yeah. That's Rick Beato. And those guys will drop a band that I've never heard of. And as studied as I am, and as many years as I've walked the earth, I can't possibly listen and have listened to everybody. So I'm always picking up new stuff no, through things impossible. like this or um, my friend at work, Adam Donahue, or I'll be talking with Dan and like students will bring mm-hmm. stuff in that I didn't know. And it's just, it's keeping this open so that you're always thirsting and never pretending like your stuff is better than that stuff. It's like, give me more. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah. And it's good. Like it helps to influence you and it's not, I wouldn't say it's better. It's positive. So um, not once did I hear you mention the radio. <laughs> um, is the radio, do you think the radio is a dying thing? Like for me, I might, I might be one of the only people that still listens to the radio. So I get a lot of my stuff. Um, Lindenwood, by the way, has my favorite radio station ever. So I really like the style of music that they're playing. And um, in the last year or so, they've added some classic That's rock. That's thanks to one of my students my who ended too. up interning so, for you. Yes, and because of FERPA no. laws, we won't. No, but she mention. did a great job with that. And, <laughs> but anyways, and her predecessors too. Yeah, and so I've, yeah, and I've loved that station. So I hear some new stuff there because um, it's not too pop heavy or mainstream, um, and mm-hmm. also you know like KDHX and stuff like that. But like in regards to the radio itself, outside of the St. Louis region, like is that a dying thing, or do you think? is the online platforms going to eventually take over, you know, how long can the radio support itself? That is an incredibly good question that 
especially these non-commercial. I mean, obviously, Linden Woods is not going to go away because they're, you know, educating their students through it and whatever. But all some of these other ones, like KDHX, like yeah, they're struggling. I'm so, sure. And everything I said before about where I get my music, that's not it. You know, I do listen to the radio. I love the Point. I listen to 105.7 mm-hmm. The Point all the time. Um, yeah, I enjoy popular music especially the stuff that came out, you know, when I was about 14, you know, cause they say that that's the music that you'll always love is whatever you were listening to when you're 14. That's like, so tool Nirvana, Pearl jam. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Always <laughs> as much as I listen to the, the cutting edge stuff, that's I will solid. always listen to the point and I'll, I enjoy, um, was it the arch one Oh six five. And they've got kind of a mix of everything from the past, like 30 mm-hmm. years delicious for sure um but what you don't get from the radio and i will answer your question what you don't get from the radio is the stuff that hasn't been chosen for you the stuff that hasn't been chosen for you because somebody is pre-selecting yes. that to be played and, well at and not moment. just the dj you know um obviously kdhx and um and the wood the lindenwood thing they're a little bit different but even the wood has like mm-hmm. 60 tunes like this is what we have to pick from. Um, I yep. think KDHX does not follow that, but like the point, there's like 60 tunes for this month. This is what you get. And wow. that is decided yep. by their company, their parent company. Um, they are with Hubbard. There's iHeartRadio and like all of these uh, clear channel or whatever owned mm-hmm. like something like hundreds of radio stations around the country. And they're deciding wow. what people hear. So I do like okay. the stuff that comes through that, but you're not, it's going to be rare that, you know, you're going to get anything new with that. And that's not totally true, but it's going to be, what's the new death cab for cutie or what's the new Beyonce? What's the new Taylor Swift? It's not this new person who we have vetted as sure. a, it's good and you should hear it. It's going to be, well, we've put a ton of money on this person and we want you to hear it because otherwise we just lost our asses on the new teen idol or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, there are certain programs that will focus on new stuff. I mean, even The Point has a good program. I don't know if it's still on Sunday nights. Or New Music Sunday. Um, Yeah. But I don't know what it's called. It might have morphed into something else. But um, I mean, Mm -hmm. there are some exceptions to that rule, of course, but it's not. It's harder to find it. it. It's like harder to find the new stuff. It's harder to find the KDHXs, which are are so eclectic and awesome. Mm-hmm. I love what they're doing. Um, yeah, so to answer your amazing. question, like how long can radio hang in? Man, I don't know. I mean, they they made it through um, satellite radio, and basically satellite satellite mm-hmm. radios. Right. I mean, it's still there, but I don't have it in my car, and my car's new, and so it's like I don't want to pay extra. Yeah, I think it's kind of dying because people can just right. Bluetooth the their phone in and, you know, the do only thing Apple valuable on satellite radio whatever. is like Howard Stern if you're into him. But that's about it, you know? Or if there's like one okay. person that has an ESPN satellite radio show that you can only hear that way. Well, I mean, there are some cool like underground channels. Like you can hear, um, gosh, we did a Bob Dylan special episode for 79th and um talked about that a little bit there's like some gosh what would you call it not not bootleg but um I don't know there's this mm-hmm. whole Bob Dylan channel on satellite and there you know you're gonna 
hear stuff that you're not going to hear anywhere else, basically. And so I guess if you're into that, but um, I think eventually you'll hear everything, which is your same point. Like, then what? You move on to Coldplay and then get bored of that. You know, it's like. And how much are you going to pay monthly for that when, for the most part, it's still available on the radio or your phone? You know, that's the thing with, with Spotify and stuff. Spotify is great. I use it all the time, but I pay for it so that I can listen to what I want when I want, not have ads, not have to skip an, an inside an album or whatever their restrictions are still. Um, but for most consumers, even paying the 13 or 15 bucks a month for Spotify is just like, that's outrageous. Mm-hmm. Pay for music? Oh my gosh. Do you remember like how much we used to pay for CDs? like 25 bucks. Yeah. And now I've got, you know, 500 of them over there uh-huh. that have not moved. I just bring them in on playlists and Spotify or Apple music or Google play or now YouTube music or Deezer or beats radio or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you don't need them anymore. You don't. Um, it's sad. It's, very it's sad. cheaper. It's cheaper for artists. You don't need them anymore. Yeah. I mean, that saying I made 300 of them when I made my album and, but 290 of them are still right there. So, you know, and that's okay. People are still listening to the music. They're just not buying the CDs. So then you do vinyl for the people who really want the vinyl or you do cassettes. Those are coming. Yeah, back. You got to make it desirable and posh yeah. and whatever's in. You got to meet your audience where mm-hmm. they are. Even if it's uncomfortable for you or you it's just special. deal with, Find, waiting until you find those people that sure. can directly yeah. connect. So, I mean, there's definitely that possibility too. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we're done here. Well, we could, I think we could talk <laughs> on and on, but uh, let's do it again sometime for the we'll... sake of the audience. And yeah, I think Thanks I, for everybody who hung in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, this was very interesting. I think um, hopefully a lot of musicians, can take a lot from this it's like a pre-college class <laughs> hey, you're welcome <laughs> yeah so cool all right well again this is uh dr matt horman and i am jen leblanc billharts i'm with shock city school of music and you're with lindenwood university and um would you consider yourself a freelance trombone player yeah, yeah? okay of course cool of course. awesome don't let the dream die Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right, Matt. So do you, we talked about websites. Do you have a website you can share with the audience? Absolutely. www.matthorman.com. And that's H-O-O-R-M-A-N-N. <laughs> two O's, two N's. Awesome. Two T's. Don't forget the two T's in Matt. <laughs> Double up. All right. Well, good chatting with you. This has been fun. I had a ton of fun. Awesome. Anytime. It's good to meet you. I'm so glad. I feel like, um, you know, thank you for the interns. They've been great. I love that we can connect and merge. And um, I'm kind of like the realistic, applicable approach here. Let's apply your sk- the great skills, by the way, that your fantastic um, staff is giving these students. And um, I'm just happy to be that next stepping stone for them. So we're happy that they have you to go to. So let's keep it up. All right, Matt. Thanks. Thanks, Jen. Bye-bye. 
All right, so that was Matt Worman from Lindenwood University, professional trombone player. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. And you've been listening to Coffee Conversations. Thanks for tuning in. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, share, and if you want even, you can support. We would love to get all of our positive word out to all of your friends and anyone that loves music and hopefully um, you've learned something positive. So thanks again and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.